Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and from time to time, I have the honor and privilege of bringing on my friends who, yes, they're here because they're my friends, but more importantly, they have something to share. Uh, they are artists in this business, and they, you know, they're navigating it no different than I am, no different than you are. And today, I am joined by Flobo Boyce, uh, yes, host extraordinaire, uh, DJ, <laughs> musician, connoisseur, and uh, wrestling nerd, among other things. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> um, what, what, what else would kind of round you out in, in terms of the big stuff? I think my, my LinkedIn tag is live entertainment professional because I, I saw the stand-up comedy about six years ago, and mm -hmm. that was like the door to everything else. Emceeing, video game commentary, I dabbled with music myself over the pandemic, and DJing, it's all from like hitting the stage up. Yeah, so I think th that's a good place to start because I think, you know, to, often people are at least, you know, I don't know if you face this, but people will say, you know, like you got to focus on one thing, to, uh, hone it in, like you're all over the board and things like that. Sure. But, you know, we both know like James Lott Jr., he's all over the board, I'm all over the board, you're all over the board. So mm -hmm. how, do, how do you navigate that and have you heard that criticism? Do you think about it? And, you know. Wow. That's a very good question. You're starting off with the heavy hitter ones. I appreciate that. No, it, it's funny because um, there is truth to that. You don't want to be uh, too spread out. I really felt like, especially here in Los Angeles, pre-pandemic, of course, when I go to parties and everyone was collecting slashes, you know, like, oh, I'm a dancer slash paraglider slash, you know, orator. But as I think of it creatively, I, I feel like it's a need for us to have some sort of umbrella I don't want to say the brand because that seems to be a bit overused, but I think there's a through line for whatever you do. Like I, if I went to go see, if I went to go read a Phil Svitek book, it has a different temper and vibe than anyone else. And so that allows you to grow within your things. And if I want to try, say, I don't know, making a kind of beer, for example, which seems very disparate to what I've ever done. I think if you were into my personality, my reputation, my brand, you will say, I want to see how this person interprets this craft. So yeah, a little bit of I agree, a little bit of disagree, but I like to think of it as have a through line and then have tendrils outside from that through line. Yeah. And I, I mean, listen, I think part of the key, and um, I would certainly say you fall into this, uh, is at the end of the day, no matter what you do, you're going to do it with passion, right? You're not just, I think people, sometimes people can dabble and it's like, oh, that wasn't for me. And, you know, I certainly think you're someone that like, if push came to shove and you didn't like something, you would walk away from it, but not because you didn't give it, you know, your all. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Totally get it. I, I think it's, you, you'll know, your body does tell you when you're like, oh, I'm doing it for the motion of it all. I'm doing it to get a paycheck. Um, I would like to walk away. Sometimes people say you got to stick with it. And it's it's like investing. Sometimes you can call it wrong and you, you, you end up kicking yourself like, oh, man, if I would have stuck with that, I don't know, day trading, I would have been a different path, for example. I was that for a bit too. But at the same time, it's like you have to be able to say, at least be in a position of mind to say, I wouldn't do this every day. You can have an off day here and there. But if you have to be dragged out of bed to do it, it's your body telling you something is wrong. Yeah. And so I imagine just kind of in, in what you're talking about, uh, certainly in 2020, the DJing and the stand-up comedy has kind of taken a backseat. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong? It, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, man. It, it's, it was rough because I'm actually writing about this in my memoir today, this chapter <laughs> here, because in, in, in March and April, and rightfully so, I'm not taking it from anyone, when it said, hey, live entertainment is non-essential, I had devoted my entire adult life 
to live entertainment. So to be totally non-essential was kind of hard, you know, like what can you possibly do? Even like my side hustles. Sometimes I work as a, a PA at the Belasco, which is a, a music venue here in Los Angeles. I'm like, wow, even my, my like quick cash job is off the board with this uh, pandemic. And uh, we find ways to adapt uh, with, with comedy. Granted, I've done a couple of virtual shows. It's not the same. I, I may not ever be the same, but I get to dabble with comedy music, for example, and the DJing jobs. Yeah, I haven't been able to do as many weddings as I want, but I can put up mixes on Mixcloud to say, I still have the skills. Please book me when you can. That sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I just want to take that term non-essential, right? In one ways, I mean, I I think we both get what it means, but it's also, it's such a nasty term, isn't it? True. Like what you're doing has no value. Yeah. Right? Arts entertainment is so integral to any civilization. You can't talk about the Roman Empire without their approach to entertainment, you know? And and that for the first couple of weeks, like, I know I'm not a nurse, but I I matter. I'm essential (laughs) to someone, you know, please book me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, in large part, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, people always talk about, oh, uh, you know, the, the arts program is suffering, you know, they're not funding the arts program enough, blah, blah, blah. And it's the, the thing that got most people through quarantine is Netflix and movies and all this other stuff. And it's like, without, without the art, literally, people would just go insane at, at currently. <laughs> Absolutely. You hit so, the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always very fascinating to me. Uh, speaking of that, uh, before we got on, you were kind of talking about, you know, adjusting to the new normal and things like that. And obviously, mm-hmm. that's another phrase uh, like branding that especially right now gets thrown around so much. Yeah. How do you view the, the term, the new normal? And then, you know, conversely, what, what is the new normal for you? How are you identifying it? I feel like I don't try to attack anyone that says it. I know it's become like a shorthand. Like when someone says, how are you? You say, good. Even if you're not, you just say, oh, I'm good. Good is what we say. And so the new normal is kind of an establishment of, you know, what's world going to be post-pandemic. But the problem is with that phrase that you're applying that there's a normal to begin with. And it wasn't. It's a normal is different for any people from different towns, different cities, different races, cultures, creeds. There's a, there's a millions of different normals that happened. And this thing has come and has affected us differently. Now, I'm a working class minority. The Black Lives Matter movement happened in 2020. That is a different normal <laughs> than anyone else. You know what I mean? And not to say mine is different or better, superior, or whatever. So that to me, it's kind of it's kind of uh, dangerous in that way to say it because we can like roll our eyes. I did it myself before we went on. I, I did the air quotes and say, normal but it, it really does blunt the, the kind how deep this rabbit hole goes and how it's going to change everyone like i my entire creative approach changed with this you know my digital presence a year ago was me opening my laptop twice a week saying it's my blog but now i actually run after shows which never would have happened if the world hadn't stopped so that's a normal for me now too i don't think that would even be on the, on, in, the in the same category had this been a old normal yeah <laughs> You know, absolutely. I mean, I, I think for me, the mentality, you know, and it's something that I've talked about often, obviously no one wishes this and it's hard to varying degrees for, for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, the biggest travesty is, is we don't learn anything from this. Right. You know, if, if, if this, if we'd gone through this and nothing changes in any sort of way, then, then it really did suck. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where you hope that if there is a kind of repeat, it's generations down. Like, again, you can't stop viruses. That's part of our natural well, natural thing. Um, but at the same time is we should learn to be more respectful of data, 
We should be able to understand how quickly things move. And we should be able to be in advance as a society to say, I may feel this way politically or that way politically, but whatever decision is made by our scientists or whoever's in power will respect. Because one of the most frustrating things, and not to make this a political show, is that I felt like 50 different states had different 50 different responses to the same cause. And so as a DJ in Southern California, I go as far as a state line in California, but if I lived in the desert where, say, California is locked down and Arizona was not, <laughs> I actually lost clients due to the way each state took their own plan to action. So I do hope we learn some things when it comes to our responses on the line. What do you what do you, what do you hope to learn? Like if you had to pick one, maybe three, like, top, you know, what, what are those things for you? Uh, definitely that that there really is a digital divide, you, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have high-speed internet. I, I can stream this with a Wi-Fi connection, which puts me like above 3% of people that have to do hardware and stuff like that. But when it was like, oh, we're going to do schools from home, people really like underestimated how many millions of people are like educationally disenfranchised by doing that with poor internet connection or, or not even having the hardware to even get the wildest internet connection, rural Americans, uh, inner city youth, and, and everything is done by, by our, our internet connections now. I mean, I got up, I recorded my vlog, I'm on this show with you, I'm going to be doing a video game show. I'm not leaving my chair, <laughs> uh, but, but I am fortunate in that case, and uh, that's the one thing. Our infrastructure, digital or otherwise, needs to be looked at. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, how do you look at your art in that way? Like you're very, I, I think, I mean, perhaps people see it. Um, I hope they see it. Um, you're a very intelligent guy, right? Um, Thanks, so you, <laughs> you are, do you, uh, with the stuff that you do, like, do you try to infuse that and have a commentary and have perhaps for lack of a better term, more meaning to your art, or do you view it as, you know what, people, there's enough shit going on. Uh, yeah. Let people have a good laugh, and we'll just be silly as as can be. It really yes, but the mix depends on the project. Like mm -hmm. I have an, a Star Trek after show, and Star Trek has a lot of themes, so I can really stop the bus and say, "Let's talk about this. What does that really mean for this and that?" Um, but when it comes to like my wrestling shows. The intellectual side of that is I treat wrestling as if it is like Shakespeare in the round, which is really it is. It's Shakespeare in the round. So I say this character, this pathos, the storyline, and hopefully I can like put in some commentary to make it relevant still because wrestling fans like their action at the end of the day. And then my late night talk show is really more for me to work on my interview skills in a more relaxed, non kind of thing environment. But I had a guest on uh, two weeks ago, no, last, last Monday, uh, and she was in mentally rough shape and, and true to her form she came in as a professional and was a guest on the show but we talked before the show we did the show and i thanked her for it after the show because i understand that we have things you want to talk about platforms you want to share hey if you want to talk about mental health on a comedy show i'm not going to say oh there's no time for that because we're human beings you know yeah no absolutely and i think very early on there was a side where on social media i, I don't know if like you noticed this from your feed or whatever but where people were posting, if, if you don't finish your novel, your music album, this and that, then you never lack time, you lack the hustle. And to me, it's, it says a couple of things. Number one, you're, you're just pointing out the fact that like you're doing okay and that you can afford to like utilize this time instead of having to worry about rent and money and so forth. Sure. Secondly, even if someone is in a good position where you know they're earning money and things like that, like I look at it like, A, 
based on whose definition, this is not a race. Like, oh, if at the end of quarantine, you've done 10 books and I've done three albums, it's like, who's a winner, right? <laughs> yeah, the readers. <laughs> yeah, like it's just, uh, you know, I think, I think there's, to me, there's this fallacy. Like, I think, yes, people should and can be hardworking, things like that. But I, I like, I think there's an individuality to it that we take for granted of like, what works for you is not going to work for me, nor should it. Yeah, there's yeah. a it's a symptom of a bigger problem. So in in the confines of of the the pandemic, since we're all in the same pursuit, we think we're all in the same boat. But again, I'm lucky enough to live alone. I could imagine if I had a bad roommate or in a bad relationship being stuck in there. That oh, I've done this thing when I was in lockdown. You should too. And it does become a comparative thing. But like even before the pandemic, especially in this country, um, because I grew up with immigrant parents, so I see both sides of things. We do take pride in hard work, but hard from work uh, it's sorry to cut. What, what countries? Just curious. My parents are from Barbados. Uh, they came cool. in the seventies uh, to New York City. So like I'm, I'm New York, I'm, you know, classic New York man. That's what I am. But but when it comes down to it, now as a first generation American, always people always ask where you're from. And I have to say, well, my parents are from Barbados. I've gone back a couple times. Yes, I like Rihanna's music, uh, <laughs> but it, it's all good. But but before the pandemic, it was like this hard work fallacy because the idea was if you work hard, things will come, and if you don't get things in life, it's because you're lazy. And so even going. To of parties back that I was saying everyone was collecting their slashes oh yeah you know me I'm hustling I I, I sing I dance I, I write music I'm hustling I'm hustling I'm hustling and I got to a point when I said well are we hustling or are we making progress so yes you can make 10 books uh, in this like theoretical situation but how good are those books what what stories you're sharing and you and like you said Phil I don't know if you're dealing with not having rent or waking up just an absolute despair, you can't find work or worse, being forced to go to work. You know, it's unsafe. I mean, those things weigh on you. We like to pump out things like machines or at least revere people who do that. He don't sleep, he's hustling, but it is a pace that can damage most people, you know? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I almost, when, when people tell me like that they don't sleep or whatever, I almost laugh. I'm like, oh, well, you're a sucker. <laughs> right? It's so no, seriously, because I, you know, to me at the end of the day, like it's a long-term thing and again, based on whose definition, like, uh, I, I, like some of the most successful people in the world, like just, you know, just by any metric will argue that, yes, yeah, sleep is part of their, their success formula. True. And like so Huffington stops her day job at the Huffington Post and have thrive global just to say that rest, <laughs> get a massage, feel good about yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, as a quick side tangent, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, it, it, it's interesting to me, and this is a complete tangent, right? Uh, where people always ask, like, where are you from? And most Americans, if they were, like, born in America, they're like, oh, I, you know, we're Irish, we're German, we're this. And it's like, you're American, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Why oh, don't absolutely. Americans say they're Americans? I, I, never, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I was on a podcast this week, and it's something that it did come up very similar. It's like Ancestry.com uh, had said, or the people that run that thing, that it wouldn't, that, that idea of finding out where you're from doesn't really happen. It's not really a popular tool in Europe. Like people just say, hey, look, if I'm Italian, I have Italian kids. I'm Italian, I'm German, I'm German, German. But we just have like this, and you can get all serious about individualism or tribes of one. We want to be this, this the dynamic individual. No one's ever like, I'm American. I'm like, I'm, I'm 135th Polish, 176th like New Jersey. And, you know, it becomes yeah. this thing. But, you know, I, I was fortunate in that way to say, 
say, I am American. Like I culturally, I am. Uh, it's only when I go to an American party and someone goes, oh, where are you from? And I can't say Brooklyn because the next question is, where is your parents from? <laughs> it's like, well, you're asking me at a party. That's weird. I don't think of my dad at a party, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. A weird dynamic in this country. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, I know it's semantics, but it's heritage versus like citizenship. True. You know what I mean? Like that's all it is. Like when you say where you're from, it technically is supposed to imply citizenship, not right. heritage. Right, country of origin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it just, I just, I find it fascinating. People um, are weird. <laughs> um, so let's talk about your after shows, you know? Because um, I mean, I, I know you from After Buzz, which is all about after shows. Final class, Phil. You remember the final class I was in. I'm so glad. <laughs> Look at that. Um, I mean, what even, I guess... Uh, Let's even start there. What drew you to AfterBuzz? And then, you know, the fact that you're continuing after shows, like, obviously, there's something there that resonates. So why are you a sucker? All right, Phil, I'll tell you. (laughs) Uh, I will take a step back. I got on stage in in comedy on August 10th, 2014. And that changed my life. Um, I was 29 at the time. I, I thought I was too old to start because you hear the stories about comics being young and doing it for 20 years. But I had such a connection with the audience. I felt like that comedy is something I wanted to do. The, dr- the big dream of Lobito is I want to have my own late night variety show. Not necessarily talk, but variety, like Sabro Gigante or something. Uh, by that time, I put three or four years into my comedy career and I've done my leaps and bounds. I've had famous comedians I won't name drop here told me I was doing very good as a comic. I was like, oh, I'm on my way, but I did not, and I still don't, have fans. Like, my friends have seen me at, at show one. They know I'm, I'm terrible. They know I'm growing, but it's a hard sell to get them to come out to shows. I needed strangers to get in, to buy into what I can do as a comic. And so I saw After Plus TV. I, got, I went there as a comedian with an idea. Of, I was on a show that was popular enough, but I decided to go out on tour there might be people who buy tickets to say, oh, I'm that guy from Afterbus. It's very, very Hollywood and the reason why I joined. But when I got there and I saw people from the hosts discipline, people from the writing discipline trying to do the same thing, I learned so much about every single thing. So I became a better host because of it. I write a rundown on every episode I do, or I make sure that I write, uh, I do like little clips of the episodes so people can see snackable content, things I wouldn't have thought about as a comic or in this, in this, in this whole sphere. Um, well, the second part of your question is when AfterBuzz closed down, there was a little bit of a, of a, what do I do now? Do I just go back to comedy? Like, well, I'm not necessarily a TikTok guy. I don't dance. And I, download, I just deleted TikToks. So I don't know on that. There wasn't even reels yet, you know? Uh, do I do that? Do I do jokes of the day on Twitter? And I was like, well, how can I express a comedy in a way that gives me live feedback? And well, one of the things I realized is that if you get yourself around a decent panel uh, and have a show that you let you care about and you're passionate about, then you can mix all of that. This is why I'd, I'd like to go live. I don't like to record or cut up my things. And so I loved wrestling as a fan. I think it's the best character work in television. I did a wrestling show. I love Star Trek Discovery because it's the first Star Trek I ever watched. And I think my perspective is unique because I'm like coming at the end and watching Star Trek backwards. And so, okay, I got another friend of mine and we talk about that. So a comedy first approach or a levity based approach to what I was doing. And that was made it different in my time at After Buzz. But yeah, I guess I got the uh, after show buzz, bug from After Buzz. <laughs> nice, nice. And how did you, um, uh, this might be too insider, but I'm curious nonetheless. James Lott Jr., how'd you guys hook up? 
Oh man, it, it was a crazy time because I, I went to Afterbus early. I live in the West Side. I live in the West Side of Los Angeles, and Afterbus is in a place of Los Angeles called North Hollywood. For those of you who don't know about LA, that is essentially cross town. And so there's certain windows you can go there without traffic. And so for Monday Night Raw, it aired at 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. So I would go at like 2 or 3 to beat traffic and hang out, which is such an L.A. thing, right? <laughs> I'm here. My day's ruined, but I beat, tra- <laughs> I beat traffic. Uh, this, the legend goes, I was sitting at a, a high table because they had a little viewing station. And like a whirlwind, this door is bust open. And James Lott Jr., like pouring sweat because he's like animated when he when he performs wearing a santa hat and a box of just christmas stuff with the words super organized in the box i'm like hey how's it going ma'am did not junior i have another show in 30 minutes how you doing hi 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 grab some stuff from the box take some stuff out and goes into another studio i'm like who or what was that and i think it was uh, uh brianna at the time she's like oh we haven't met him junior he's a guy that's been doing this for years he has so many shows are you into soap operas and i was like do i look like somebody who's into soap operas but i went home and researched him because it, it the fact that and this, is, this is the thing the fact that his name was on his box told me he brought it from home and that's somebody who's as dedicated as i was driving across town to watch this thing. So I decided, well, I better like know more about this guy. He may be important. And I guess that's the start of things. Isn't it so interesting, like, you know, kind of tying it back to the idea of networking. I was always more interested, um, at least for me, like I, I, I'm less about the parties and things like that. For me, networking, like what you just described there, that is a form of networking to me because I can recognize someone's actual talent and talent to me is not a skill set, it's a process. So you're seeing the talent at work and you're drawn to it versus someone like, like you said, you know, Hey, uh, Flobo, I'm a, I'm a dancer. I'm, I'm, I'm a singer. Oh, right. I, I write books and I do this. And it's like, okay, that's wonderful. I have no, <laughs> you know, like I can look you up right now, maybe, but still not going to tell me like how, as you mentioned, like, are the books good or not? <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Whereas yeah. if you're seeing it in action, there's a different side to it. Now I, yeah, I just hate the, I, I hate the overemphasis on quote unquote networking when it doesn't really mean shit. I've seen so many hollow networks. Like the people will call me up or text me to say, how's it going, buddy? And you're like, I'm great. And you can tell that's like the, the like the warning shot. Yeah. <laughs> asking. I don't want to be jaded. I, I make sure if anyone needs any help to reach out, you want to be a source of information, but like it does weigh on you when you notice the people who call to tell you're doing versus the people who call to tell you're doing because they want something afterwards. And it's a sales call essentially, you know, that's a bad network. Well, how do you kind of balance that? Right? Because um, there, there's a, a word that I discovered recently, equitarian, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, if, if, if you do something for me, you know, then it's like, okay, I'm not necessarily like going to do exactly that something in return right away or whatever. Right you know, you might do a, a couple of things for me, but then when you need it, it's like, there's a, there's an inherent trust where it's like, if you call me, I'm going to be there for you. Right. So it's not, it's not equal. It's equalitarian. It feels yeah. equal. Yeah. Um, and I just, and I, obviously that's, that's a hard thing. Cause you know, there's that perspective and you know, what, what is equal, you know, sure. in your mind versus my mind. And I think, but, but, but at a certain point, you just kind of know of like, this, this motherfucker keeps calling me and he's never asked anything. Or, you know, he's never like been like, yeah. hey, can I get you a coffee at least? Like nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I like to think of the, the broad sorts of things. Like, because yes, yeah, so if you think of a transaction for transaction, 
a lot of people won't meet that threshold because I'm a giving person because I, I know how hard it takes to, to research things and all that stuff. And I could sell it in an ebook, but I don't. So I understand that I can't look for something immediately. Much like I know there's some people out there, um, I don't want to name drop again, but there's another comedian that's on Cameo, for example, this year. Uh, he, he's on this national TV show. I hit him up. I was like, look, man, I want to pay you for a Cameo, but do I do it through Cameo or do I email you directly so you can get the whole, the whole purse? He's like, oh, Flobo, do I remember you? I'll do it for you for free. And he made this video for my mom for Christmas. Like, I can't pay him back. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, but you're right. You take a step back of, of your karma ledger, if you will. And over time you go, wait, this person only calls me when they want something. Then you don't get the priority responses or you get like the good redirect. <laughs> you get the check out this site, bro. Like you don't, it's a, it's a customer service thing. You don't want to be like a total like jerk is anyone if they're asking for information, but you just, you could be not as helpful. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's definitely a fine line. And, you know, th there's the idea of setting boundaries and how do you do that? Uh, and sometimes for me, like, I, I, in certain situations, try to be blunt about it. And kind of more recently, and not, not in a mean way, but, you know, there's, there's people like, hey, I have a new podcast. Can you take a listen to me? You know, the podcast. And I'm like, I did that, A, I, you know, I'll call them, like, I did that six months ago for you. I gave you an hour worth of notes mm -hmm. and you're still making the, and you, you thanked me and you said you'd apply them. Now you, you didn't apply any of them and it's not a subjective thing Yeah. because you know, the notes I gave weren't really subjective. It was like, at, you know, let's say like add a lower third. I can tell if you added a lower third or not. True, <laughs> true. <laughs> What'd you think, homie? <laughs> and so it's like, don't ask me for the same feedback when you didn't do any of the work I already gave you feedback on. That's different. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> so yeah, I've kind of find myself in, the, in, in sometimes in that boat. And um, also too, um, interestingly enough, so you, you and James, you guys are doing the audio drama stuff together, correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm actually writing one uh, under his umbrella. I'm excited for that. Yeah, what's uh, a uh, little pitch? Yeah, this one's called Take the Wheel. Uh, and it started because my parents are super devout and I'm not as, but I really feel like Christian entertainment tends to be on the nose. Mm -hmm. So here's a story about, uh, takes place in the 90s, New York City, about a guy, a, a black guy that has a ward that is a white girl, basically his brother's uh, daughter, brother's stepdaughter, um, taking care of her, uh, trying to street race to raise money, uh, to have money in the household to support this girl and his mom who can't work until one day he crashes into a church. And the church, instead of throwing him in jail, says he has to teach Bible study. So, <laughs> so it's going to be a cool thing. It's going to be a cool like little way of looking at uh, religion, about the 90s, about the way we um, uh, perceive Caribbean culture, New York City culture, that sort of thing. It's going to be great. Interesting. Um, I just want to I just want to explore this, this a little bit more. Um, do you, not that I want to get too heavy into religion, but like um, in that sense, regardless of whatever religion, right? Christianity or whatever. Mm -hmm. my, the reason why I was always opposed to a lot, of, a, a lot of those teachings was because it seemed very restrictive of don't do this, do this. And it, it, it seemed very ritualistic um, in the sense of just restrictive, right? But then, you know, um, in that sense, like my mind kind of got opened up of like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like it can actually be about like, oh, God loves you and things like that. So sure. I just, um, 
don't know. How do, how do you, again, not that we have to go too far. Oh, no, absolutely. So I, I always kind of walked away from that. My parents are, they're both Protestant. Um, and again, if we're getting too deep, we always cut this out, right? My parents are both Protestant, but different denominations. My mom is Pentecostal and my dad, what they would call Anglican, uh, but up here, we will say Episcopalian. It's part of the Anglican communion. So there's two different flavors of that. And I, we grew up, my brother and I, not as devout. Um, my dad worked Sundays. My mom worked Saturday nights. So Sunday morning, she would be like sleeping in bed, recovering. So we never went, we weren't a family that went to every week. And because of that, my mom was always kicking herself like, oh man, we shouldn't approach it. But I think I give him a lot of credit so we can sit back and watch how everyone worships differently. My biggest view on religion is like, and this is going to sound like esoteric as heck, but hey, look, it's open. we're a safe space here, right? Um, yeah. I, I call it God FM. I know it sounds crass, but I feel like every religion on the planet is true. Every religion on the planet, every belief system is absolutely true. It turns into how you, how you tune in, how you free, put, align your frequencies with the teachings. And the reason why I say that is how could we live in a world where, say, a Franciscan monk decides to leave the religion to marry the person he loves? Or how could someone be a devout atheist and get into a car accident and become a born-again Christian? Like, I feel like there is something there that you can tune into. And so I've seen the restrictive of God. Don't do that or else, you know, God will see you. You won't get presents for Christmas. And I didn't see the, the, the this benevolent Superman that would protect you. All you have to do is believe he exists, that kind of thing. And I know I, I respect everyone's walk on life. I, I think that now more than ever, I think there's something there uh, because I have been wishing for good fortunes in this time, but I, I can't say I would say I'm this denomination or this religion at this point in my life. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. I think, you know, part of the reason I asked you earlier, you know, how do you infuse meaning um, into your work and things like that? And certainly, you know, uh, by you writing this audio drama, I, you're exploring essentially some of the biggest questions humanity's always had, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that's awesome. But kind of now rewinding to the original uh, thought process I had in terms of asking you about the audio drama, it's, it, it's interesting to me, um, you know, in, in, in working with James Lott Jr. And, and you, like you guys are able to make these projects and, and kind of the, the idea of the complaint, right? Where uh, he, he, I don't know if he's joked about it with you, but you know, he said to me like, um, there's people that see you and him doing these things and they're like, Oh, how do you, how are you doing these things? You know, I can't even find actors. And my joke to him was like, we're in LA, just tell him to take a walk. He'll, he'll find an actor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether you are your Uber driver or like the next like mayor of your, of your city, actors are all over <laughs> the spectrum here in this town. And part of it's, and the reason I joke about that is because like, they're not even asking the right question, right? It's not, how do I find an actor? It's how do I get an actor to be part of my thing? True. And, which I think speaks to that disconnection of like people just want to take, take, take. And um, I think I, I've seen it work for some people where they're so selfish and, and narrow minded. They find a certain amount of success and then that justifies it and for a bunch of other people. But to me, it doesn't uh, it doesn't last beyond, you know, a few years. At oh, Absolutely. There, there is something about having a knowledge base in a, in a living, breathing process that allows you to change and update that makes every, it makes all the difference. Like I do my, I do six live shows a week. 
And I do have a, a small group of people who are usually available to help me out to be a host. But no, if you're a guest on my show, I'm going to promote it. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to put it on social media. I'm going to do my due diligence too. Not again, not to go back to the hard work fallacy, but there are some people that hit me up and go, hey man, I, I'm still waiting for that invite to be in your show. And you're just like, well, <laughs> are you Oprah? Because I'll definitely have Oprah on my show. No, because there's, there's this, this idea of that, hey, I want to be talent, I want to show up, or I want this, this, this project to be produced for me so I can come in and call the shots. And if you have to be willing to do everything and everything that's needed, be the glue within your own project. So even though I'm an actor in James Ott's uh, projects, I've seen it sometimes where we're in a scene and an actor does not show up to a show and James goes, all right, because I'm, I'm jumping in there, you know? I'm not saying that's great for process all the time in every situation, but for these kind of things, you have to have that bit of resolve to, to do, okay, I'm going to get my hands dirty if it means the difference between finishing a project or starting a project or not even doing it all and be like, what could have been? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm in a kind of position um, where, where there's, a, there's a healthy, I think, uh, push and pull where I have to get funding for... Um, you know, my second feature, because I can't go out of pocket, you know, on this one, because it's going to take more than I have. Uh, but, you know, so my, and so that's the healthy side of it. But then, my, you know, my producers are like, you should also get a DP. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I'd rather spend that, A, spend that money on something else. B, like, it's like, why you kick it? To, shooting my own stuff is way too fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> why do yeah. I want, you know what I mean? Like, why do I want to get a guy uh, to interpret my mind when I could just like, do it and yeah. do, you know exactly and and so um yeah it's just kind of interesting to me that the push and pull of what's healthy and what, what's like egotistical true and that and the thing is you have to be a, have a little bit of an ego it's almost impossible to be the head of anything without that ego because you have to understand what you consider top quality and i don't mean that in a bad way i mean i tell this to all my minority creators all my female creators all my um new americans our immigrant immigrant creators it's okay to to say and state what you want in a way that's clear and respectful to others. It gets to be weird. We start snapping on people. Be like, you guys don't know me. I'm the best ever. They think it's all toxic and stuff. But yeah, if you have a certain quality, I've seen your film, Phil. I actually, pay, I actually paid to see your film, Phil. You know, there's a quality there because you were there to ensure that quality level. Sorry, that's quite out. Hey. Adoring fans. Adoring fans. She was like, preach. <laughs> that's what I heard. Um, no, absolutely. Uh, Sorry, if you want to continue the thought, I didn't. No, make- that was pretty much it. I mean, there's, there's, okay, it's okay to have some ego as long as you clearly state what you like and are as respectful as you can. And say, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking for this vision. Look, I understand it's good to have a DP, but for what this is, this project, DPing is what I want to do. I can give up a UPM position to someone, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. yeah, I think you're fine. Yeah, no, exactly, and because because I always look at it in terms of the stuff that I want to do. Like, I'm very, you know no one's like knocking on Phil's door being like, Hey, here's a $5 million budget to make your movie. Right. Today, um, today right now. Right. But, but that's the thing, you know, and it, and it speaks to a larger mentality of, you know, cause there are people waiting on that knock. And so for me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not waiting for the knock. I'm going to keep do, doing the movies and the books and whatever else that I want to do. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, uh, so it, you know, it doesn't have the budget that it has. And hence why, like, you know, my mind does go into that producer mode of like, okay, I know I, I know where I can cut corners and where I need to spend the money. So again, yeah. I'd rather spend any money that's there 
for location, props, actors, and so forth versus I could DP it. You know? Right. Right. I, I can't knock anyone with optimism. I can't knock anyone who wants it. The, the analogy I use a lot on, on shows like these is that imagine as a creator, you're out in the middle of the sea, it's pitch black, you're on a boat, and all you have is a flare gun. And every time I do a podcast or something that's one shot in the air, more likely the more stuff I do, the more or more frequently or more consistently I do things, people will, people will notice me out to sea and that giant yacht will bring me to shore. But you can't sit in the boat and be like, I hope someone finds me because it's pitch black. You're, the odds of you being seen are like slim to nil. So I love the optimism. I still hope I get that phone call from Jimmy Fallon and be like, hey, Lobo, I'm going to quit my show. Can you take it over? But I have to assume it's not going to happen. But I still think about it, you know? And, and when, I, when that happens, I, I'll, I'll stop all the shows I'm doing now. But until that day, I treat it like a job. I try to find replacements. If I can't do a show, let people know ahead of time and, and try to keep as many shows on than, than, than having breaks and hiatuses. And I think I'll be in better shape. Well, it's also, you know, like, like you're talking about it, uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, like, let's, let's take Jimmy Kimmel, right? Uh, creative guy, smart guy, and, you know, different than like, let's say the stereotypical suit. But at the end of the day, you know, every, everyone kind of lacks imagination, right? And I, I mean that in a healthy way, because, you know, just from the host perspective, how many hosts do you and I know? that that are that that would be waiting for that phone call and whatever else and it's like they don't know you're a good host right. without you having some sort of inertia yeah. and all those things uh you're not getting that phone call but if they're like you know what i need a host position who hosts you know what flobo every time i'm on instagram this motherfucker's posting something, <laughs> doing something he's a good he's he hosts all right let me give him a call yeah and you know in that sense Listen, without any disrespect, you might not be the right person for the job, but you put it out there that this is what you do. True. You know? It's one of those things that it's very old Hollywood to assume that you'll be discovered. The idea of someone standing in the back of the room be like, give me a call, kid. No one discovers you anymore. They buy in. Um, and, and, and in the comedy world, I remember, there's a guy I keep on, on my, uh, my Facebook for this reason. He's an older comic that was really big in the 90s, toured, toured the country, did all the other shows, Arsenio, whatever. You, and uh, he never changed his act because he's from a time period where there wasn't a YouTube. And your act could be the same for like a decade and no one will know. Uh, I remember him lamenting many times that comedy promoters are just going to book Instagram stars because they don't care about talent. And I was like, promoters care about talent because they want people to come back. But as far as their bottom line, you have to draw. And the fact that you're not drawing is a reason why you're not being involved. And so you're right. I put things out there, uh, but to, to build a following, a build a calling card. So if someone goes, hey, well, we saw you. What else you got, kid? Which is super important for creators. You can say, oh, this. Not, yeah, there was one thing three years ago. I think it's called Afterbuzz. Check it out. You know what I'm saying? Like it, You have to keep it going. Yeah. And for yourself, too. I mean, uh, it. it, it I don't know how familiar with, with that Picasso line, but he said, like, if I didn't have a paintbrush, I'd, uh, I'd draw with a pencil. If they took my pencil away, then, well, hell, I'd prick myself and paint with blood. You know? Wow. Like, <laughs> no, but it speaks to the idea that, like, yeah. I mean, this is inherent within us. And, and if it's not, if, if you're doing it for the fame and glory, right. good luck. Right. Yeah, you could tell 
the difference between and it's nothing I do for glory too. I'm not above reproach. Like there, there are some times when um, I, I would, I try to get into sports, like actual sports. Cause oh, I can imagine cheering fans and my football career lasted 10 days because I was in it. Cause I was at the time I was five foot eight, three seventy five. I figured that was the only path for someone of my size was in sports, but I, I wasn't in it at all. But like doing toasting, I see that being the dream. I do video game commentary for fun, but that's beginning to like merge into emceeing. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. kind of fun to have that balance there because yeah, I am, I'm literally doing it for free. So you can't tell me I'm doing it for glory. And I've been doing it for years. So if I get success from it, that's great. But you know, you can tell when someone's doing it just, just to be recognized. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as, uh, you know, how we kind of going back to the idea of the new normal and things like that. And uh, you always seem to have a very healthy head on your shoulders, but like, you know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, um, it can be inherent, like, like a positive mentality, but also can be learned. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always kind of a happy go lucky kid or um, was that something you did work at? Always doom and gloom, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I say this, man, I, I have my dark days now. There's days I get up and I'm like, I don't know who's going to buy this. Or, oh man, I had the best episode ever, but only six views. Are you kidding me? What do I have to do? Do I have to bleed on screen? What's going on? And my mom, to her credit, has heard a mouthful or earful of, of me complaining about that. But I come from a time and period where I was abused constantly, not to make it a, a PSA, but I was very heavy. Um, I talked like this, even in, in like this back then in Brooklyn in the 90s. And so I was always uh, uh, attacked for not sounding hood enough, if I could be that way. Uh, If you're in a situation where you feel completely powerless, being an adult and having some choices is a blessing. Now I can't go out there and buy a yacht, you know what I mean? But like being stuck in a corner at the playground and someone like squeezing your chest because you have boobs as a guy, you know, guy in Macastia, is way worse than being able to say, I'm frustrated about something. Let's make fun of it. I'm going to hit this live button. Let's talk about it. So there, there are positive choices. And I, I do think my parents mean well, even though they're immigrants and they always want me to get a good job and they, they put their heads up and go, look, man, do whatever you want. Uh, but there's always worse. There's always worse things. And I go back to the pandemic. I sit in my one bedroom apartment and I go, man, I'm so lonely because I had a breakup about four months before everything shut down. But then you see pictures of like people in bad relationships or living in squalor or living like three people to a bedroom because they, they sheltered in place where they were. I go, I can't get mad. Like these are all champagne problems, man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, I, I mean, it, it is a fine line because at the, at the end of the day, they are like, they are real to you, but, um, but it is good to kind of have that comparison. Um, to the idea of like taunting, right? Just like bullying continues to be a problem in this day and age. Do you think it's just a simple matter of like, as kids, like we just so don't know our own individual selves. And so we're so afraid that we just lash out at anyone that's in any way different and perhaps displaying their uniqueness. And so we're like, no, F you, you're not, if I'm in this terrible position, yeah, you too are going to be. Or is it more nuanced than that? Am I oversimplifying it? Uh, uh, you know, it's a difficult thing because growing up, bullying was dynamic. Now, I got made fun of because I was heavy. 
I had bad acne for a lot of time, a lot of those years. And I, I didn't talk hood enough to people. And I read Archie comics. That was, <laughs> for some reason, no one liked Duckhead Jones. Um, but like, it was dynamic because the kids that were the jocks who got made fun, who made fun of nerds, when I got to math class, the nerds had their own material. It was like the dozens. It was like give and go. Can you take it? It always reminds me of a superhero movie. You know, the first scene when the hero gets all his powers at once. He's like, oh, what's happening to me? You don't know your own strength with your words. And you don't really know how you affect people. Because at the time growing up, you said something as a joke, as a snap. Everyone around thought that was just part for the course. The person who was the victim side can either have that same mentality or be really hurt and it escalates to a fight. So there's a lot of nuance in there. And so when they say don't bully, at least to me, I get like the cardinal bullying, like beating people up or like taking them away from school or stealing their books. Yeah, but like jokes and stuff, that's a hard thing. That's the war on drugs. It, it exists, but I don't understand you're going to go to kids at a certain age that they, they are recognizing patterns in people with a first time in their lives and saying, hey, this person, for whatever reason, doesn't fit the pattern and they say it out loud. I, I don't know how you educate people from saying that. And, and so that becomes a whole different issue as well. So a little bit of nuance. I, I'd say I hated bullying. It was the worst parts of my life growing up, but it did shape me to who I am today, uh, especially when I uh, started going to the gym and everything kind of worked out together. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great attitude to have about it. Um, I mean, as far as an answer, I'm curious to kind of hear your perspective on this because I, I look at it like there's all the things we don't get taught in school. We don't get taught about wealth management. We don't get really taught about like relationships. Right. Uh, and we certainly don't get taught about this or, you know, certainly uh, we wouldn't be getting taught about religion because of the separation of church and state, but certainly just like the idea of what a good person probably should be. Right. Um, and so it's like, drilling these facts and figures. And, and, and in that sense, like, in my mind, it would, I think part of it is just having a more complete education uh, that, that does set up people uh, to understand those things and recognize those things. I am fortunate. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to James Madison High School. I will then name drop that one. Uh, very, very famous school in Brooklyn. Uh, Bernie Sanders went there. RBG went there. Martin Lando went there. Um, by the time I got through it, there was a legitimate peer negotiation class. So I took it. There was peer negotiation leadership. Taught you conflict resolution. They taught you how to use I statements, that sort of thing. I think that really helped me out. Uh, but you're right. And I had one teacher in economics who, who stopped uh, macro for two weeks and taught us how to fill out a 1040 which at the time was stupid, but now, <laughs> Dr. Novick, I remember stuff. Um, but, uh, but you're right, there's a lot of things that schools don't teach and it's getting worse. Um, there is a war on school. Uh, I hate to sound political on that because my, my parents, uh, my brother who's older than me went to private school for, for kindergarten, but at the time he went to elementary and the time I was around, they couldn't afford private school. So I went to public school. Uh, they bolster that with Saturday classes. I went to Saturday lessons. So they added extra work on top of the school curriculum. But you're seeing a lot of the same problems from before happening again in the inner city youths. Uh, about a generation ago, two generations ago, it was separate but equal until we said, by the fact of separating, they cannot be equal. So we'll put the kids together and what happened? People are opting out now. You can go to charter schools, you can go to school choice is what they call it, but the results are the same. People who, uh, who have means can extract themselves from our public education system, leaving people who cannot, those immigrants, those minorities, in these classic schools. And they're not getting the funding they need. 
teachers are being raked across the coals to get good test scores because test scores equal knowledge apparently not an aptitude not actually uh in intellectual intelligence and so it becomes like this fight for metrics rather than people and development so i kind of wish I, if i had a way to, to to do that if i could roll up to school and be like, all right man take a life lessons 101 with flobito that would be so much fun because but what i've seen in my 30 plus years of this planet i do think there's a lot of stuff that's being missed in our school system today yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, um, I think this perhaps ties uh, in some way back to the idea that we're talking about like networking and so forth, where people like, like with test results are so results driven. And for me, I was always very process driven. And in that way, I, I almost kind of, for me, I, I laugh in certain instances, because the people that are complaining, they, they can't, they're not getting the results. It's because they're not focused on the process of it, yeah. you know? Um, and much like you were kind of alluding to earlier, it's, you know, at, at any sort of level, it's like, if you want to get this off the ground, uh, you know, you got, you got to kind of roll up your sleeves and do it yourself. You know, you're not, you're not going to have someone produce your podcast in, in, in that way. You got You got to produce it yourself. True. It comes with momentum. And again, I have a, a billion one analogies. So stop me if you heard this one, but if I'm on the highway and my car, two of my tires blow out. Do I pull over, sit there and go, man, I wish someone would help me out? Or do I, if I don't even know how to change two tires at once, I go out there and struggle and, and wipe my brow and someone feels sorry for me and pulls over. You know what I mean? Like people will buy into momentum. Momentum is important. So start your podcast, start your first chapter of your book. Let people know because they'll be willing to help you like fill the first time before you start asking for more advice without actually getting the back. But you know, but, it, but it, it's very important that people see you trying the thing, Phil. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, I think that's the thing, you know, I, I, I'm a big advocate that knowledge to me doesn't really matter. What matters to me is what you do when you don't know. And I think too many people try to take constantly that shortcut. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and I think that's why you do get phone calls or texts that you do. It's because you, you have, in essence, become the shortcut. It's like, I don't want to do the work myself. I don't know how to figure X, Y, and Z out. Let me call Flobo. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, that works, but, but, you know, at a certain point, you gotta, you gotta figure out some stuff on your own. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, more of a theoretical concept there, but you're right. It, it is a shortcut there. Uh, Cause you, I'll, I'll even keep a tally, which probably inside of baseball, but I keep a tally of people who hit me up over, at least when the AfterBuzz set, uh, the AfterBuzz host, when I left, there was about 400 hosts in AfterBuzz. Um, and I would say, 30 to 35 people have hit me up in some form or another for advice of where to stream, how to do things. And again, my presentation is not nearly as crisp as yours. Like Phil makes it look like dope, but I can tell you what I know. And you can tell those who done it, took the, the information and ran, those who takes the information and asks for more, those who goes, oh, you gave me everything I wanted. Thanks, dude, and not do anything at all. It's a very cool process. I wish I could do pie charts about this because it's really cool to see how people respond to that kind of information. Because if knowledge is power, I've given it to you. I want you to do better and do your own platform so you can, you know, put me on. I could be on your VH1 documentary being like, I remember him. You know, that's, I want to be successful, but it's a, it's a trip. Uh, I would love to see you do a pie chart or whatever. Because, like, a lot of the stuff, the reason why I teach the stuff that I teach, sure, I want like other people to know it, but really it's because people hit me up, like, you know, in our circle of people and rather than have to go on this tirade of 30 minutes explaining every time, 
I'm just like, oh, I did an episode on that. Here's the link. Check it out. Smart. But here's the crazy part, and that drives me insane. They're like, oh, thanks. This is this is really really great. Can you t- can you explain it to me? It's like, uh, is you lazy? Actually, <laughs> read the thing that I sent you that I that I already did for you. Yeah, has the answer you're looking for. I wonder if you're a part of the hustle culture, if someone calls you lazy, is that like a slur? <laughs> do, you, do you get offended? <laughs> I, might, I might have back in the day. Um, yeah. But now, like, listen, people can say whatever they want about me. They're, listen, um, th- maybe this is like a fun thing to end on. But like, you know, there, there's trolls online, right? And like, you know, they say a bunch of dumb stuff. I'm like, I, unless you, like, I, I kind of put this out there a while ago. I said, listen, if you actually want to get a rise out of me, like, uh, attack me beyond just like, this was stupid. You know, say why it was stupid, because then like, at least you have a legitimate thing to, to argue on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it, the fact that like, you know, so, someone wrote on a recent video of mine of like, who is this even for? And I'm like, well, clearly it's not for you. Just like <laughs> not every YouTube video is for me. So, right. Yeah. You know, keep it moving. It's all good. Like, yeah. This video is not for you. Wow. This free entertainment is a substandard. I don't like it. Why? Why waste your time? (laughs) So um, I don't know. How how do you, uh, uh, how do you approach? I mean, because you opened up the question, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be trolls or it could be a personal attack. Yeah. It's funny for me going back to growing up uh, as both a black person and as an overweight or morbidly obese person. uh, Lazy is one of the few words that like are in the, in the middle of that Venn diagram. So I think a lot of that's fueled me now. And, and so whereas I may be, well, I think when we were creators, everyone has a gas tank, right? That four or E. And when it's, if you're on E, you're exhausted. There's nothing you could do about it. But I do think there is like a, a half tank error where people either quit for the day or push. And I think I tend to push because I remember hearing that my entire life. You're, you're fat because you're lazy. Uh, you know, people don't score well in SATs because it's been known that people look like you are lazy. And so I tried to counteract that. So much like you for a long time, that triggered me. Cause it was like, what do you mean? I am hustling, but I will say back to my main thesis. Now I've seen the progress I've made in comedy and hosting and, and all these things, not to throw things at you, but I realized I pushed that on because I know I'm not lazy. I actually have proof digital proof that I'm not. <laughs> so it doesn't really uh, get at me as much anymore. And I think that was a cool milestone for me from a mental standpoint. Yeah, I think for me, honestly, the thing is like, I just define, I've defined what my success is, right? And I think, I think you're pretty much there now in terms of what you want and uh, yada, yada, yada. But for a long time, I was giving into other people's definition of what success looks like, you know, fancy cars, big house, this and that. And I'm like, I don't even want that. Right. You know, I've been in enough big houses and I don't want, I don't want a damn gardener at seven in the morning or someone like at seven in the morning, I want to walk around my underwear (laughs) and like a big house is, it's just too much to clean and this and that, you know, and one of the things that I want to not listen, I, if, if I can help teach people this like great, but it's not, I'm not doing it from a, I'm trying to prove standpoint, anything. To me, it's like, I want to be a successful artist without having to have millions of dollars. True. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not interested, you know? Um, Can I ask a question then? Yeah. Let's say the million dollars are off the table, but you have some sizable cash, right? Mm -hmm. What is the Phil big dumb purchase? What's the one thing you would buy that seems very monetary that you'd be like, you know what? I've earned this. 
Um, travel trip can count, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be travel. It, um, you know, it might be, honestly, it might be like, you know, building something like a studio so we can continue work and stuff. Um, it, it'd probably be towards the next project. Um, That's not dumb at all. I said big dumb purchase. <laughs> honestly, I don't know if I would, ha- I like, yeah. I'm not trying to like put myself on this pedestal. I don't know if I would have one. You That's know, um, I'm not going to like, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, I saw somebody that we both know, they posted on Facebook and they said half of America is waiting on the stimulus check because, you know, they're running out of cash for rent, food and whatever. Other half is so they can buy dumb shit. Mm. And, and I didn't want to respond because I didn't want to come, come off uh, combative or trollish. And especially nowadays, people just take things the wrong way. But in my mind, I'm like, well, I would technically fall into the category of I would just buy dumb shit. Mm-hmm. But whatever stimulus, like when, when the first stimulus check came my way, I essentially donated it to organizations that I believed in. Yeah. Because it's like, I, yes, the money would help me. Right. But I don't need it. Right. Because the point of the stimulus check is to stimulate the economy, not to shame people what they use it for. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, so in that regard, you know, I... My, my ambition is not, um, tan- tangible. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I the mark I want to leave is not having, you know, a big house or whatever. It's, um, you know, other stuff. Yeah. So, what about you? What's, uh, crazy big dumb purchases, man. Uh, I want myself a, a, a Eagle made of platinum. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, it's funny because like the, the visualization things are things I'm getting into now. Like, envision success and i don't know how much things cost i don't know how much things are worth but when i, when I have the mind's eye closed i always see myself uh in a place i own apartment i guess or kind of my own overlooking a city i'm not sure how much this costs or how big it is but the the condo will be top floor looking over the city with the view so hopefully i can find myself a cheap city <laughs> so i can move it over in there because i'm a city guy and and literally coming from the street level to being above that I uh, say so you rose above to me, me like the perfect circle of things. Um, but yeah, as far as like big dumb purchases, I'm, that list has been dwindling. I was like, you know, I want to buy a championship belt. And I did it at 20, 29 years old or something like that. Oh, I want to buy a fancy watch. I bought it. It sits in a closet and I sold it on eBay like, like three months ago. Like, it, like the things you think you want, you don't want. But that view, owning a, owning a view, would be great. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, any, any last piece of advice or anything that you want to share, um, as we wrap this out? Yeah. If you are a content creator, just, you know, treat yourself like you would if you worked at a third party company, you give yourself vacation time, make sure you pay yourself, make sure you're all right, but commit to being consistent. It doesn't have to be daily or weekly. Just keep it the plan you set up and think good things will happen. Awesome. And, uh, for the multi-hyphenate stuff that you've got going on uh <laughs> what g- give them a few of the ways they can access this and make it you know i try to simplify this as much as i can over the past couple of months because you're right it's getting pretty gnarly uh new amsterdam.com that's k-n-e-w amsterdam.com has a list of all the shows i'm working on that's draped in golden wrestling star trek discoveries commanding blog my podcast for creatives called new amsterdam radio and other projects but you can follow me on twitter at global voice or on Instagram at Flipito, F-L-O-P-I-T-O. Awesome. Well, we'll link to all of that in the description box. So if you didn't have your pen and pen out, uh, you can just <laughs> click the link. <laughs> Easy. Well, uh, this was a pleasure, man. And, um, you know, 
looking forward to 2021. Hopefully it's not a dumpster fire like 2020. <laughs> oh, the way to go there, Phil. To the moon. 